0: Before I get into the Word this morning, I just want to take a, just a few moments and just say thank you from Pastor Tommy and Beth for the honor of being here uh, when he called and asked. It meant the world to me because for all these years, for some reason, he thinks I've been mad at him over some incident that happened uh, on on uh, uh, August the 15th, uh, 2003, and I did look up that date this morning to verify that when literally I say that Pastor Tommy has impacted and touched the ministry of me and my wife. I'm not exaggerating those words. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and share it because I can embarrass him for a second. But really, I'm probably going to embarrass myself. He preached one of the most amazing messages I've ever heard in my life. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It was so amazing that I've preached that message everywhere all over the world. Um, I'm not joking. <laughs> um, but he preached on the woman with the issue of blood. Has he preached that sermon here yet? Yeah, some of you are saying yes. Has he used the illustration? Well, the illustration involved... Let me give you a key thing. If you're ever going to go into ministry, if you ever want to preach a lesson, Pastor Tommy says, hey, I want you to teach one night. If you're going to get an illustration and you're going to use people, let them know beforehand what you're going to do. Because <laughs> his idea was, I'm just going to do it. You know, he, He's spontaneous, isn't he? I mean, they're all like, oh, yeah. That's the first time I've seen everybody's head Go, yep. <laughs> okay. So he was spontaneous, got a few guys, and basically he was trying to portray what was going on uh, with the uh, woman with issue of blood trying to get to Jesus. Luckily, I got to play Jesus that morning, and he had four or five people back behind me uh, acting like they were the crowd. He was acting like the woman with issue of of blood. I don't know what version you all read, but every version that I have read of the NIV King James, she's crawling to get to him. (laughs) Pastor Tommy didn't crawl that day, and here I am just standing there like an innocent little pup, not knowing nothing's going on out of nowhere, he literally runs up underneath those guys. Next thing I know, I felt something just touch me, and it was his head hitting my backside, and I literally went about five, six feet up in the air running down the, running down the aisle way. And so literally he has impacted, he has lifted up, and he has touched the ministry that we're in. But I mean it from the bottom of my heart, and I... I I try not to get emotional when I say this, but his father and him mean a lot to me, because in 2003, his dad took a chance on a young guy that thought he knew it all, and he didn't. He was arrogant, needed to be trained, and I'm thankful that his dad took the opportunity to pour into my life, and I tell him that all the time when I see him, but his dad is literally just one of the most amazing men I know, and if you, I'm sure you all have probably met him several times, but Brother Ira Sandifer is probably... He's a pillar in my faith because that man has poured into my life, and I just wanted to share that with you guys in front of your church this morning, so we are excited to be here. I'm going to be preaching out of Job uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and as they, uh, I guess it's going to be good this morning. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that to me through Marco Polo later, okay? <laughs> but um, uh. I do want to say real quickly. Uh, um, as far as kids ministries goes, this is just my heart. It's my passion. Um, it's just everything that I love about life. And um, we, me, and my wife have been blessed to serving now about twenty years through different ministries. But about seven years ago, just through happenstance, we were able to take over our kids ministry home on a volunteer basis. And I'll be honest with you. When my my best friend, who was a youth pastor time, asked me to do it, we really didn't want to do it. We said, "Man, Josh, this ain't going to work." You know, whatever. And literally within three weeks, me and my wife just looked at each other and said, this is our life now. We knew it. And so these last seven years have been amazing. And uh, what he said about Taylor, I promise you that it is 100% true, uh, not because I poured into this girl, not because of anything else. She is literally going to be somebody that will change the world. And uh, Denarius, I believe that's his name, um, literally, uh, while he has a different calling, he's going through college right now, getting his uh, degree. Um, I just wish I literally wish that we had time where we could just let you hear his testimony, and what God's done through this young man, because there is nobody you will meet more awesome than this young man, what God has done in his life. Anyway, this morning, if uh, I don't know if you all do, but just how I do, if you would stand for the reading of the word, please. And remember, I'm a kid's pastor and sometimes I mispronounce words. So we're just going to if he mispronounces a word, let's just not make notice of it. Just listen to what I mean, not what I say. Is that fair enough? All right. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen. See, there we go. And 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east let us pray together dear heavenly father god we just thank you for all that you've already done in this service and your visitation lord we ask that you would just be with us through the remainder of the service bless this word that you've given me god and let it not go out void and we all said amen you may go ahead and be seated this morning i just want to take a few moments with you guys and preach to you on the subject of having the power of making a decision to have a made-up mind let me say that again the power of making a decision to have a made up mind we often talk about job and we talk about all that he went through we all know the story of job very well if you've ever been around the church long enough how he went through so much but often we don't talk about how how from job from the bible how he was phenomenally and Materially blessed, we don't really focus long on that, we focus on how much of it he lost. But we have never really took time to look and see what all he really did have. And if we were to go through and look at it and how we would just read, it's mind boggling what this man really had. The scripture that I just shared at the very end said he was the greatest man among all of the people, another version of the Bible says the most influential. In other words, very rich, very powerful. He was very influential in which the area in which he lived. No one in this area at this time had more wealth than Job. Job was very blessed with material things. And looking back on the scriptures that I just read, he had a lot of livestock, a lot of servants. He was doing very, very well. Now, I don't know if you all know this, and this is just one peculiar, weird thing about me that I like to do. Like, for example, I found out that me and uh, Pastor Tommy, I hope I'm not getting him in trouble by saying this, but he loves MASH. I love MASH. I mean, literally, we have the entire seasons of MASH. And I'm just saying, some people have their peculiar things. A lot of people think, you're 38, why are you watching MASH? (laughs) Because I don't have to worry about what's going to come on in the next five seconds with all the other movies on today. That's another sermon. We won't go there. Anyway, some of the peculiar things I like to do with my spare time. I get fascinated by the net wealth of people. You know, you hear about all these people talking. You see these people that are on all these news channels. And sometimes I'm just wondering because we just – I shouldn't be saying this because we've got Tuesday and the voting coming up. But you get these people that get on there and they make these comments. And it's just like all of a sudden these news agencies say, oh, we've got to listen to them. And I'm like, because they were a star in a movie, I'm supposed to listen to what they said? Yeah, You know what I'm saying? I'm, but anyway, we're not going to go there. Oh, Lord. I'm causing you trouble, Tommy. I'm sorry. But I always get curious how much people are worth. And I I often, other times, I'll look up. You know, what is the net worth of George W. Bush? You know, former president. I'll look up what's the uh, net worth of uh, Eric Berry, plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. Different things like that. And so, like for example, if you were to look up the greatest basketball player of all time, his net worth, which is Michael Jordan. Let's just be honest; it's Michael Jordan. uh, His net worth is one point six five billion dollars. I need to get that man's phone number and tell him about Michael Lampkin Ministries International because we needed to launch out. <laughs> but I was studying and I was wondering about this, and both these thoughts come into my mind as I was reading all of this man's uh, wealth that he had, all of this thing, and I thought, I wonder if there's any way that I could find out what Job's wealth would be. And when I put in Job's net worth, it brought up some guy <laughs> I've never even heard of. So I then was able to find a website that literally I could put in how much they say of all of this cattle all of this things that he had in the scripture that we read and literally in today's value of just the livestock it was 30 million dollars just in livestock just in what McTear folks that's just his livestock it doesn't talk about his servants it doesn't talk about all the land he owned just his livestock 30 million dollars I don't know if anybody in the room has $30 million, but if you do, again, Michael Lampkin, International Ministries, okay? We're, we're going global next week, okay? I'm just kidding. So my point in using all of this is to share and to tell you something, that this man Job was highly and favorably blessed on a material standpoint. But just as he was blessed on the material standpoint, he was even more highly blessed on the spiritual blessings in his life. True greatness is not defined by the material blessings that we have in our possession. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance abundance of possessions. True greatness in Luke 12, true greatness is determined by the things you possess in your heart, the things you possess in your spirit, and the things that you possess in your soul. Job just didn't wake up one morning and find himself overwhelmed with material and spiritual blessings. Job at a very young age, guys, this didn't just happen overnight where all of a sudden, ooh, I've got cattle, I've got land, I've got all these servants. You have to make some choices. You've got to make some sacrifices to get to those things. I all of a sudden just didn't become kids pastor at Palace of Praise. I had to go through some things. I had to go through some trials. I had to make some mistakes. All of us, to wherever we got in our life, we didn't just get there overnight. And the same is true with Job. He just didn't come out of his mother's womb and all of a sudden just praise God on everything. He had to learn. He had to make some choices. And Job, he recognized there are two pathways you can take in your life. If we look over at Matthew seven thirteen and 14, it says, For broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter into it. But narrow is the road that leads to life, And only a few will find it. Let me put this in simpler Southeast Missouri language for you. If you are wanting or desiring to make it to heaven, you cannot follow the path that most of the people in the world will take today. The broad path is filled with the masses and majority of people that are on their way to destruction. And the scripture says it's the narrow ways that will get you to heaven. Everyone wants to think And I know in a kumbaya land We all want to think And if we listen to Oprah Winfrey Everybody has a chance of making it to heaven No, that's not what Jesus taught He said most people will not make it In other words, if you want to be normal If you want to be accepted in our society today And you just want to go on And enjoy the pleasures of this world And do what you want When you want I'm telling you right now You're on the path of destruction It's an elite group It's the one that will follow the path of righteousness that will make it in this life. Those who walk the narrow path, they will make it to eternity. So see, if you want to be like everyone else and and if you want to be on the broad path, which is defined as having ample distance from side to side, you can be like everyone else. There's plenty of room on that path. Or you can be like Job who comprehended who understood, who figured it out very, very young, there are repercussions of good and bad decisions. You know, I was thinking about this past week, and there's two things that will determine... Excuse me, my allergies are kicking up. There are two things that will determine what we become in our life. Two things. Our decisions and our responses to God. You see, God gave you something that not many... Things in this world have when you came into this world, you've got what's called a free will and God will allow you to choose. God will let you decide how and which manner you went to live the life that you've been given. God is not going to force himself upon you. He will not force his will or his word into your life. God says your decisions and your choices, they are up to you. You can choose to serve God or not to serve God. Nobody can make you do it. But you need to understand something. While we have the power to make our choices, our choices have the power to make us. And our, your choices are going to make your life. And guys, I'm telling you something right now. And kids, I want you to hear me. You better choose wisely. Nobody, nobody can make you do it, but you better choose wisely. And this is what Job learned. Job got a hold of it at an early age. He understood the scripture, Ecclesiastics 12.1. Remember now the creator of the days in your youth. Remember him. Before you start getting old, before you start getting out in life, but start, before you start feeling the full burdens of life come upon you when you're young and when you're strong and you're sharp in your mind, it's like I tell some people all the time. I work in our school systems, back home, pop I'm at our schools probably at least twice a week. And I'll tell you, the, the, the rate at which our kids are learning today is scary, to be honest. I literally have an eight-year-old kid who I guarantee you can probably work an iPad or an iPhone in this room better than any of y'all. Literally, I couldn't get it to, fi- to restart the other day. My son took it, and within two seconds, he had it restarting. I literally thought I knew all there was to know about history. I'm a history buff. My son comes home from school the other day. I, we're just driving along, and I, he said, Daddy, I was reading about history today. Well, I like, ooh, finally, a, a subject I can help with, because math and English and science have been all on Ashley so far. And we started talking about history, and he said, Dad, did you know that this and this happened? And I'm like, son, that's not how it happened, but I remember that in the history book. He said, Daddy, no, that's how it happened. We got the history book open, and by golly, that 38th birthday did take a lot out of me. Sorry, son, I forgot that. It's amazing what these kids can handle when they're young, and that's why the school system has figured it out, and now the church needs to figure it out. We need to start pouring scripture into their lives wow. daily. Amen. Amen. Guys, I'm just going to throw out a little tidbit here. I'm getting off my notes, but if you're expecting the church to get your kids to heaven, they're not going to make it. All right, go ahead. I love my church. I love being a part of the Palace Price. I To be honest with you, if I could have a tattoo, because I'm so scared of needles, I'm not going to. But if I could have a tattoo right here, you'd have the Church of God emblem on there. I'm Church of God through and through. But Church of God is not going to get my two sons to heaven. This world will not raise my sons. I will raise my sons. I will raise my sons to fear and to worship God. Not the church. It will be me. Start pouring Scripture into their lives right now. You know what? They like iPads. I got nothing against iPads. Put some Bible apps on there. I loved it. About three or four months ago, my son, where he goes to a Christian school, they have a a Bible chapel once a month. I love it. Got no problem with it. It's a Baptist church. They're pouring in good biblical knowledge. A pastor up there that's got a uh, doctoral degree gets up there, and he makes a reference to something in the Scripture about how they sacrifice the, uh, the calf. You know what my son does there in the middle of the Bible study? Stands up. Pastor Steve. Yes, Peyton. It wasn't that. It, it was actually it was a different animal. Pastor Steve opens up his Bible and he says, Peyton, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm not saying that to brag on my son, but I'm saying stop, stop throwing everything in the world that's, that's coming today. Use the resources you have. Take that iPad, those games, and use it to your advantage. If they're going to sit in front of it all day, let the be Christian stuff in front of them. I don't know where I went with that one. Anyway, Lord Jesus, help me. Job got it at a young age that I'm going to serve God, that at a young age I'm going to do what is right, and I'm going to follow the narrow path. And I want to say something that I'm sure a lot of the uh, people in my age group and just below it will understand, and the ones that are uh, um, in the 50s and overcrowd, you'll understand what I'm getting ready to say here. And those that are under the age of 18, you're getting ready to figure it out. So let me tell you about something. When you're under the age of 18 and 19, it just seemed like time drags forever. Forever. I remember when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I couldn't wait to be 12, 13, and 14. I was just counting down the days. It seemed like to get to my birthday every year, it seemed like an eternity. It seemed like it would never get here. You know, when people ask how old you are, and my, and my son, uh, Peyton, has done this many times. Peyton, how old are you? Well, I'm eight, but I'm going to be nine soon. And then all of a sudden, you know, all these ages start hitting. Then you hit 15. And everyone really remember when you hit that age of 15 because you knew at that point learner's permit. That means a year I'm going to have that driver's license. In a year, I'm going to be driving all over town, all of this whole new thing. It's a whole new world. I'm getting a car. I'll be driving everywhere with my friends. And the next goal for all of us is 18. Because when 18 gets here, I'll finally be out of high school, be able to do what I want, go where I want, say what I want, do what I want, be who I want. I'll be free. These were my thoughts. And I can stop listening to those nagging parents' advice. And when they tell me to do things, like when my mom says, can you do things, you you better sit down while I'm talking to you. That's how my mom talks to me. Sit down while while I'm talking to you because I want you to understand what I'm saying. And my thoughts were, well, when I'm 18, I'm not going to have to listen to what you're saying. Let me just say something right here, and I know some of you all laughing at that point, but you have the right mama full of Jesus Christ, you're going to sit down one way or another. And I, that's what I had. I had one of those mamas. She wasn't full-on Pentecostal, but man, she was full-on hands-on with Jesus, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I'm just saying, I've got some scars back here to prove it on the back of my head. Now, we might all laugh at that, but I want to show you something funny about life. Time is dragging when you're under the age of 18. And it seems like it's an eternity. And then finally, all of a sudden, 18's here, and it's just like, yes, I've arrived. I've graduated. And then it's all of a sudden, it's like God's up there. And he's just going like, yep, it's time. Let's just, oh, there's Mike's remote control. Let's hit fast forward on life real quick. And all of a sudden, now now I'm not 18. I woke up, and I'm 26, and I'm married. Now I've got a mortgage. What the heck happened here? Then all of a sudden, I go to sleep, and I wake up, and I'm 34. And I thought, my Lord, I never thought in my entire life I would see my mid thirties. My grandma kept saying, "You know, my God is going to come back." And then you are like, "Where did all this time go? What? What? What happened? This has been too fast." I mean, literally at this point in my life, I'm two years away from hitting in the forties. I can't be there. I'm all, I'm, all, I'm all, What is going on? Fifty will be here before I know it. I remember my grandmother saying to me. I, my grandma had one of those uh, uh, just Pentecostal hairdos up to here. She liked to bake. I mean, she was a praying, praying woman. So when my grandma said something about God, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I took it to the bank. It's going to happen. I remember my grandma saying, Mike, you're never going to live to see your 20s. Y'all, grandma lied. She just flat out lied. I can't wait to get to heaven and say, Grandma, you lied to me. (laughs) But, you know, what I'm trying to make the point of is this. Everything when you turn under, when you're under the age of 18, it just seems like it drags Forever. All of a sudden, when you get 19 and 20, it's just like everything just speeds up, and it's just like, what happens? And I'm saying all that to say, you've got to lay the groundwork now, kids, uh, now young people, while you're in your youth. You've got to make the decisions now. How is my life going to go? You can start planning right now. You say, well, Mike, they're just kids. No, they are everything. It's nice to have this awesome building that we can come into and worship and be out of the cold and wet and everything, but guys... This building means nothing if we lose what's right here. This is the most important thing you have right here. And because the decisions you make and how you respond to God is laying all the foundation for all of this. You know, I look at myself and I think I shouldn't be where I'm at right now. I shouldn't be on staff at the church. I shouldn't even be married to the wife I have because you know what? I'm not qualified. I'm not educated enough. I'm not gifted enough. You know, you've, sound, you've heard me this morning. I stutter when I preach. I mispronounce words. I even have to use a child's Bible to study out of because some of the words I just don't understand. I'll be honest with you. When you look at my desk, you'll see a children's Bible, a regular Bible, and there's a dictionary right over here to the side of it. Some of the words I just don't get. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes, guys, when I'm writing things down, I literally have to take my phone and use the Siri app. If you don't know what that is, you say, Sorry, I got my, hey Siri, because I got my iPhone watch on. I don't want it to activate. You know, hey Siri, spell this word for me. Because I just don't understand it. I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, and I shouldn't have what I have. But you see, what I can tell you is I can take you back to the age of 17 when I made a choice at a church revival to say, You know what, God? If you will use me for anything, I'll give up everything for you. And because of those decisions I made back then, that's where I'm at now. And you've got to make those choices too. Were there struggles along this way when I chose this path? Lord, you better believe it. Like I've told many people on this, on this weekend, God never promised you everything would be perfect. He just promised he'd be with you every step of the way. And you see, this is why my response to God is so very, very important. My responses at a very young age and into my adult life have governed my life, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm I'm telling you flat out, I've messed up. I'm not saying I haven't tripped on this path, but I know I have stayed on this narrow path. Even though there was a time not long ago in my ministry, I honestly wanted to get off. I'll be honest, I just wanted to get off, become a good church member, and just forget all this. From the years I was 18 until now, I have seen several stumble like me and stay on the path, and then there was those who decided to get off of the bro- and get on the broad path because there was more breathing room. There was more room to stretch the rings and see what life was all about. You see, I made choices in my younger life going into my 20s before I was married, and now these choices have made me. I keep saying to myself, even though there's times I don't want to hear it and I don't want to say it, do what's right do what's right. Do what's right. Do what's right even when no one else is watching. Do what's right even when no one else is listening. Even when your friends are leaving you, do what's right. Even when your family says you're crazy, do what's right. Even when you're alone and you feel like everyone in this world has given up on you, do what's right because you're making choices and your choices will make you. Your responses to God will make you. And here, let's break it down a little further. Here we are at this awesome church this morning, and worship has already happened and been amazing worship. We've received our offering, the sermon is about over, and there will be a prayer here in a few minutes. And you'll have to come to chance to come to an altar, make some choices, and you will leave. and my question to you tonight, this morning is this: How will you respond to God? How will you respond to God? At the end of the service, the most important part of the service is not the music. Yes, the music is important. What, what this worship team does, I could not. I'm not a singer. Gosh, I wish I was, but I'm not. This team helps us set the atmosphere and helps draw us close to God. The most important part is not the preaching. Yes, it's important because it gives us information. It helps, helps us. It teaches us. It instructs us. All of these parts are important of a service, but the most important part of the service or any service you will ever be a part of is how will you be and how will you respond when God tries to touch your heart? Will you clamp up and say, you know what? This isn't for me. This doesn't apply to me. Will you throw it aside? Will you say, this is for the kids today. This is kids' fest under the big top. It's not for me. There'll be always be next time. Things I think I just don't really care. How you will respond in these services is what God will remember. It is in that time God will notice. You may not remember what was preached about come five months from now. But I promise you guys, God will remember how you responded to what was preached this morning. He will remember when you brought those burdens, those worries, those troubles, and you laid them down on the altar. He'll remember the day or the night that you decide to stop going out on your own, stop trying to live your own life. It is our responses to God that He's watching. You know, bear with me for a moment as I wonder, is this just how it's really happening at any service or in any service you've ever been a part of? Is that there will be a spotlight where the the pulpit normally stands, where God is just shining down the spotlight because He wants all the attention right here for a moment. And then there's a point where he spits the shot and light out here on this altar area because he's saying, here it is, respond. There's something I'm trying to get you guys to understand this morning. Job at a young age started making incredibly wise choices. Job said, I'm going to stay away from the evil things in this world. I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to honor you, God. I plan it now. I plan it while I'm young and my mind is strong Job was saying at a young age because he wanted the favor of God in his life. Because Job 1, 1.6 1, 6 says, there was a day. Guys, there will always come a day when the decisions we make and the responses we have given to God will be tested by something. Someone or someplace. When you make those decisions like you might make today here in a service, maybe in a life group, maybe somewhere else, there will come a day when Satan says, you know what? Let's test it. Because I tell you what, Satan's not going to come up here in the altar area where the Holy Spirit's at. He knows better. You know where he's going to be at today? He's going to be waiting at those double doors. Maybe your car won't start. Maybe when you go home and you've got to go back to reality and face the things with your families you've got to face with today. He's waiting for those moments when he knows your top's going to blow. And those days will come, and you've got to make your choices now. Make a choice now that I choose life. I choose a narrow path. I choose to walk in the favor and anointing of God. I choose to leave the crowd and what the world tells me and stick to it no matter what. Because the day will come, and I promise you the day will come, when Satan and the forces of hell will attack you in those situations and your family members, and how will you respond? Now just stay with me because all this is going to come together in a moment. I want to share a story as I'm getting ready to close here about a gentleman, and if you've heard of this story, uh, it's a great story, I love it. It's by a guy named Carlos Hathcock. Has anybody ever heard of this gentleman? This guy was a United States Marine sniper in the Vietnam War and a very highly decorated one. Back in 1965, he won a very prestigious sharpshooting contest, not just in the Marines, but with the entire armed forces. And what was amazing about him was a story that took place in the Vietnam War. Hathcock and his spotter were stalking an enemy sniper in the jungle near this area called Hill 55. And there was a base where he was staying at, and there was this guy, this, this sniper on the bad side, only known by the name of the Cobra. Sounds like we're talking about a fictional movie, but seriously, this is true. Look it up on the Internet. It's there. This guy named the Cobra had already killed several Marines and yet was believed to have been sent specifically to kill Carlos. You see, this Carlos guy, he was good. I mean, like, really, 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 really good. And they both ended up in the same area. And they were both searching for each other. And out of nowhere, as Hathcock was looking around slowly with his sniper rifle, he saw what was a flash of light or, or something. And at that moment, he immediately took the shot. And what they found out later was, was literally both of them, as they were coming around, both of them had them both self in the same sights at the same time. And, they, and Hathcock took the shot first. The bullet literally went through the, uh, um, the scope and hit him in the eye. That's a pretty good shot. I sure would appreciate that shot next week when I'm going out there for that deer. But I would need like an automatic rifle like like that to get a deer. It's been five years. It's been a long time. But what I want to use by saying that is, in other words, the only thing that saved Carlos, he acted first. He pulled the trigger. And sometimes when you understand that the enemy, that Satan has his sights set on messing you up, tripping up your plans, attacking you on your path. You have to understand this and know it's coming. Guys, you you have the resources right here. It's coming. He's going to attack you. He ain't going to leave you alone no matter how hard you pray because his only one desire is to make sure that you live a life in hell. He wants you to be in eternity for hell. He don't want nobody in heaven. He ain't going to quit. So you have got to understand now the attack is coming, just like Carlos knew it. He knew it was coming, so he acted first. So what happens is God will set up times like today, times with Pastor Tommy or, your, or wherever you might be at, and he, there's a word trying to go out, trying to get you ready for what might be coming. But sometimes we think, nah, this doesn't apply to me today. It'll be okay. We need to be mindful and hear the things that are happening we got to draw a line in the sand and, set, and look at the things that might be coming our way and prepare for battle no matter what. Even if we, guys, I'm just telling you right now, if you think, no, nah, everything's rosy, if everything's awesome in my life, I just don't need this right now, everything's great, you better start building some bunkers. You better start getting some rifles because I'm telling you, it's coming. Like right now at our church back home, Popper Bluff, we, we tell people, if you were to come to our church and, you know, after you go through our, uh, uh, um, Connect class of finding out all about our ministries. It's an eight-week class. After finding out all about it, you can now serve in ministry. And every time somebody comes, you know, if it's just an average person that says, you know, hey, look, I'd just like to set up some chairs, tear down some stairs, we don't say that to them. But if they say, hey, look, I've got a heartbeat, and I'd like to take over uh, the kids' drama team, I'd like to be an elder in the church, you know what we tell them? Go back home, pray about it, come back and see us next week. And we won't even talk to him more about it. You know why? Because I promise you guys, you can go ask any leader in our church right now. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's happening here with you guys too. But it just seems like all hell comes against our people. Let me give you examples. We got a lady right now by the name of Roxanne Carson who had to drive all the way to Houston, Houston, Texas because literally after going through our Connect class, joining church on Sunday morning, wanting to get involved in ministry, guess what she found out on Wednesday? She has brain cancer. We got one of our head elders uh, uh, in our church by the name of Chuck Richardson, one of my dearest friends, and literally he starts getting involved in ministry. His businesses uh, start going flourishing, doing great. All of a sudden, you know what starts happening? His, his son, Devin, starts having seizures, starts having all these things happen to him. And I could share stories after stories, but, guys, I'm telling you, when you step out in faith and you start, God, I'm going to start being used of you, and I'm going to start doing things, you better get ready for hell to come against you. So you better make the choices here. You better make the choices now. God, no matter what, I'm not backing up. I'm digging my feet in, and I'm getting ready for what's coming at me. I may get knocked down. And, guys, I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian, you're going to get knocked down. God's not worried about that. He knows you're going to get knocked down. What he's worried about is, are you going to get back up? I love what my grandpa used to tell me. Mike, you can make mistakes in this life, and that's okay. But you better learn from them. You see, like uh, one thing was back when I played football, I kept watching, and usually about the first quarter when I played defensive end uh, uh, in the later parts of the game, I noticed some tendencies. Those guys would, I'm sorry, not defensive end, I was playing on the offensive line. Those guys would come running at me, and I could tell how they were going to do it. First few plays, they might beat me, but all of a sudden, they had the same attack pattern, they had the same tendencies. And after I paid attention, I got beat a couple times, I got back up, and then I knew how they were going to do it. And when they thought they got past me, I knocked them on the rear end. And the same is true with, a, with when devil comes at us. We ain't just got to stand here and go, devil, just go away. Just, just, just go away, devil. It's not today, devil. No, what you can do is say, you know what, devil it says in my in my Bible, you cannot touch me. You cannot have my family. You can't have my grandchildren. This is my house. Get out. I'm getting a little fired up today. That's unusual. I want to share this last story about Carlos. Carlos Commanders. Um. Uh, wanted him to do one last thing before he retired. And the Vietnam Army was all over him. They were wanting to get rid of him because Carlos had taken out many, many targets during the Vietnam War. And they said, if you'll do this one last thing for us, then you can go. And they said, but we're going to let you make that choice whether you want to go or not because this is a very, very dangerous mission. Very dangerous mission. And um, Carlos thought about it and he said, you know what, nobody else but me can do this do what has to be done so i'm going to take this and to get to where he had to take the shot it took three days of crawling in a field three days three nights of no sleep no food three days of having even an interview having the enemy within an arm reach of where you're at he did all of this to get to where he needed to be the vietnam army where he was at was all over the place and he said in an interview. I felt like I was losing my mind. He was thinking and feeling things like, I can't do this anymore. I can't finish. But he said the only thing that got him through where he needed to be after those three days and then taking the shot and then taking the same amount of time to get back out and get him back to safety, he said the only thing that helped him was this right here. I made up my mind when I took this assignment that I would not mess up that I would not quit, that I would not let somebody else take it for me, not that I would complain. I would finish it. And guys, it's the same thing in our lives. We've got to make up the mind now. God, no matter what, I'm going to do this. No matter what, I'm going to take responsibility for this. No matter what, nothing's going to stop me. No matter what, I'm not going to blame the pastor. I'm not going to blame the pastor's council. I'm not going to blame the youth pastor or the kids pastor. Please don't blame the kids pastor. I'm not going to blame any of these people. I am going to take responsibility and I'm going to go forward in my faith. You've got to make the mind up now. If there's a, a musician that can play, I'm getting ready to close, if that's possible. You see, what I'm here to share today is this. Before we get to the point of everything coming at us, we have to make the decision in our minds and with our families. And, 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 and parents and grandparents, if you're watching kids, if you're the sole person taking care of them, I want to say this in your life. Speak with them on it. Don't just pray about it and you know, pray on them when they're sleeping. I talk to my son every day about the importance of a proper mindset, the importance of what God can do in his life. They're young enough. You say, well, they're too young. We shouldn't scare them. Guys, this world's using everything they can to get, attack them. I told somebody this a couple weeks ago. I believe Pastor Tommy was there. The ad commercial industry. Between the ages of 6 to 11-year-old kids are spending 22 billion dollars a year for your child's attention. Put what you're doing down and spend time with your child because either you can influence them or the world can. We've got to make the decision now. Devil not my child. Devil not my grandchild. Not my marriage, not my praise. Yes, there's going to be attacks coming at you Trying to tear you down And just like Job, you're going to hear it just like Job did If you read on the scripture Some of his best friends came at him Job, where's your cattle now? Where's your silver now? You're going to hear it from your friends When you start making uh, 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 Decisions for Christ Maybe that money's not going to be there Like it once was Man, you had all that money before you worshipped God Where's it at now? You had your health before you started worshipping God that's those devils coming and trying to distract you, trying to get your mind off of everything. You know, we can look, and we, like, we, we all like to make Job's wife to be the villain in the story because she says the following words, Curse God and die. Let me just ask you something. After losing 10 of your children, how would you act? Just being honest. You see, she made a choice in her younger age, but she didn't stand by the choice. And that's why she failed in her moment of testing. Job was getting attacked from his closest friends. But Job said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I made a decision way back here. I made up my mind and even while my body is failing me, while I may have lost everything, I've lost my cattle, my riches, my children, while the circumstances are saying give up and throw in the towel, Job said, I can do it. Because I plan for this day, and Job 19.25 says, and I know that my Redeemer lives. You may, Pastor Mike, I just can't do it. I I can't make these kind of things. I can't make these kind of choices. And I want to share with you guys just for a few moments this. I shared with you earlier, there came a time in my ministry I was ready to quit. I was tired of trying to prove myself. And literally one Sunday night, one Wednesday night, I'm sorry, it was Wednesday night, we were in youth group, and I don't know if many people know in here. I know Tommy knows uh, Josh Reasons, Pastor Josh Reasons, youth pastor pals praise for a long time. I had gone to church that night, and I had an envelope about this size right here, had it in my back pocket, and it was a letter stating that I resigned my credentials in the church of God. I was just done. I was tired. It even had both of my credentials wrapped up in it. I was just done. And Josh Reasons preached the greatest message I've ever heard in my entire life. And the, and the, the message was this. The message was simply this: Your obedience is going to cost you, but you've got to make the choice now. So here it is: I'm not going to ask you to bow your eyes, back, close your eyes, or bow your head. I'm just going to ask you to simply respond. Are there things going on in your life? Are you feel like Job right now? You're just going through it, and you need to make some choices now. Even though I may go through it for another six, seven months. I make the choices now. That God, I'm going to worship you in spite of all of it. God, I'm going to give you everything in spite of what might go wrong. Right now, is there anybody who would say, Pastor Mike, that's me? I'm going through it. There's things going on in my life, and I just need some prayer this morning. If that's you, I'm going to ask you come to this altar right now. Is there anybody? Thank you for responding. Thank you. If we have some altar workers, Pastor Tommy, could we uh, um, get them, please? I'm I'm not sure where those are. Right now, we have people responding. As we pray with these, would you just reach your hands forward? If everything's going great in your life and you've made these decisions, you know what? I'm not going to back down. That means you've made your choice. Help them by making their choice. And just stretch your hands out right now if you can. And just open the windows of heaven so God would bless these people. Let's pray with them.